Hey everyone and welcome to Radically Normal. This is Michael and I'm here with Andre and on today's episode of the podcast we're going to kick off season four in the book of Exodus. We're so excited to jump in. Today we're going to intro the book, why it's important, why it's significant, and then we're going to look at chapters one and two. We hope you enjoy the discussion. What's up everybody? This is Andre here and I'm really excited today. I wish you guys could see on YouTube or something. Uh, we're not really a podcast that uses YouTube except for interviews, but what you would be seeing is that my microphone is broken, using some AirPods right now. <laughs> I know a lot of podcasts do that. It just feels kind of weird since we've had uh, so many episodes now. I'm not sure how many. I'm sure Michael knows. Uh, and we've always used these microphones that we've had since the beginning. We've always talked about upgrading them or something along those lines, but it just hasn't happened. They've been reliable up to now. And well, fortunately, I think mine's, mine's given up. <laughs> looks like it has but hopefully the audio quality is still okay and we're actually recording this way in advance i actually don't even know when this is going to come out but we're going to have some great interviews uh this this fall this winter when we're going through exodus uh unlike the other books that we've done in the past though uh exodus is a lot longer so it won't be a lot of the times it won't be one to two chapters at per episode especially one like with nehemiah or with second corinthians but we may be covering lots of chapters such as with the plague seven through ten all at once or something so we're going to be covering a big book but this is one of my favorite books and this has been a great summer it's a great way to cap it off as we start recording yeah man, it should be a really really uh, good season you know what you guys won't hear is the cough i just had and uh you know it's kind of funny because you know with the mute feature you know we can avoid some of those things michael might have to do a little bit of editing but you know we've been able to avoid some extra of those things but that was kind of funny but yeah I'm really excited. Like Michael said, this is a awesome way to cap off the summers to kind of jump into this new season. And you know, by the time these episodes start releasing, our updates might be a little more meaningful, I would say, but just because um, I think by that time, you know, Michael would have started law school. Um, I'll be back at school, but you know, we'll be going through the career fair grind and hopefully hearing back from the internship I'm doing now and seeing if I can you know, get a job out of that. So, Wait, I thought you didn't I thought you didn't want a job. Didn't you say something about just podcasting, that being your career? That's, that's not what I said, man. You know, <laughs> gotta have a job. Gotta have a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so when this comes out, though, we should hopefully be like two weeks, or sorry, two months from like another ski trip, potentially, and like two, two and a half months from my wedding. But right now, it's more like the summer. So what is... Just for the listeners, what's one exciting thing? What was your favorite part about the summer? You know, the updates haven't really changed from the last time. I'm still sitting in, in this apartment that I'm renting. Don't have a desk or a chair. Sitting on the ground to record. Talk to you guys today. Uh, but work's been fun. It's kind of wrapping up now. Uh, at the time of recording this, you know, next week is my last week. So I've already had my final presentation and all that. Just have to Let's do go. my final, final evaluation. Which shouldn't be too stressful because I've kind of already gotten most of the feedback that I think I'll get already. Sweet. So. so really just wrapping up, taking some time, saying my goodbyes, and head back to Dallas for a few days. Uh, well, Carrollton uh, gets get to hang out with, with you, Mike, and oh yeah, whoever else may still be in town and hasn't gone gone back to college yet. And then I will be making the 12-hour drive back to Georgia. Yeah, that sounds brutal, but it's worth it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, the 
I'll say that the most exciting thing I did was my proposal, but the people already heard about that. So since the since the podcast ended, the most exciting thing that's happened is I've climbed Mount Shasta and Half Dome, and then uh, we got weathered out of Mount Hood, so that was a little sad. But now I'm excited for Exodus. So uh, it's been a few minutes, maybe five, since we started recording, but we have a lot to cover, not just our intro, but two full chapters, two big chapters coming right out of the book of Genesis. And if you're starting this and you've never even read Genesis, one, I would highly recommend reading Genesis. But also, we have an episode from the first season with Rob Snyder on the book of Genesis, the entire book in uh, like 58 minutes. But you may find that we find we take a lot of time on Genesis chapter two. However, uh, we cover the entire book in one hour. So I recommend that as well because Exodus, as we're just jumping in here to verse one, if you're reading the Hebrew, it starts with a word that's like, it's like basically starting with the word and, and that's meaning that it's a, it's a continuous, it's continuous from the book of Genesis. So don't think of this as like book two of the Bible. Think of this as chapter two in a five chapter book called the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you don't know the story of Genesis, Exodus doesn't make much sense in terms of God's promises and how the genealogy begins and all that stuff. So let's like dive right in. Before we even get into the text though, Andre, why is Exodus important? Like, why do you like Exodus? Why do we need to know it to know the Bible? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one extra point from what you said, I honestly think that, you know, listening to that Genesis episode might be a really good precursor to jumping into this season. Um, you know, we did spend a lot of time on, you know, creation, um, Tower of Babel and that, amongst other things in the first like three or four chapters kind of like you said um and that stuff was really really good and then towards the end of that you know interview we kind of sped through some of the other um you know key you know promises um that god makes um you know abraham and isaac and you know we see that kind of go along um and we kind of sped through that really quickly you might want to do a little bit of extra research to get into that but you know starting into exodus you know we kind of get to see some of these themes that um, have been introduced, continue on. We get to see how, you know, God's going to approach, um, you know, some of the promises that, you know, he's made, uh, you know, specifically like right off the bat, uh, chapter one and two, you know, we're going to see some, you know, clear uh, talks and, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, read, you're going to read about, um, you know, this idea of them, you know, multiplying. And you know how they're spreading, and, and you know kind oh, of yeah. what the repercussions of of that are, you know, to the times and how that plays into the story. And so, you know, you are going to get a lot of you know history here, and you're going to see the continuation from Genesis, as Michael said. And then also, we're going to see some of these themes really begin to unravel. Some of these questions which were left unanswered, some of these uh, ideas which you know we didn't see come to completion. We're going to see those continue to progress, and we're going to get to uh, continue to see uh, you know how. Um, Yahweh's going to interact with people and how this ultimately leads us to, um, you know, that fulfillment in Christ, which we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So let me just give, uh, no, we don't need to do a formal Mike's history lesson, but let me give a little bit more intro and we'll jump right into the text. So if we kind of take the tradition, not just the tradition of the church, which is clear on this, but more importantly, what we think Jesus is saying in Luke 24 and John five, we believe that Moses is the author of the book of Exodus, the entire Torah. 
And again, we think that this is, he's also the author of Genesis. He's also the author of the books to come. So we're like in a little bit when we're in chapter two, I'm going to be making a chapter, a connection back to Noah's Ark. And that's, we think that's the same author and the Holy Spirit is writing or using Moses, inspiring the text so that we might see these things, but also alerting us to look forward to Jesus. So as we begin the book of Exodus, it's coming after like, Think about Joseph's story in Genesis 37 through 50. And in Genesis 46, Jacob brings his family to Egypt due to the famine that was occurring in the land. And that's what we're going to see at the beginning of Exodus chapter 1 because it's the same. The, the, the first verse of Exodus is like basically a repeat verse from Genesis 46, 8. And so we're getting this continuity from the previous one. And so as we get into Exodus, we're going to see a lot of themes. And I don't want to like give away the whole book or talk about the whole book in one thing. But there's themes that are picked up across the entire Old Testament, especially books like Isaiah. And then the New Testament, like Mark and like Revelation. So Exodus is super important. But I don't really have anything else to say without jumping in, without taking up the entire episode. So we can jump in whenever you want. Yeah, man, starting with, you know, chapter one, we can just go ahead and skip all the way to verse six because, you know, the first five Bro, verses. Bro, we are not doing that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, so we, we start off with this uh, genealogy of, of sorts. Um, and, you know, that's, and I'll let you speak to that, Michael. I know you probably have some, some more to say about that. But we really get into, you know, this idea of what, you know, Michael was saying, how, um, you know, God's people have ended up in, in Egypt here. And, you know, they... Uh, you know, are in, you know, the favor of, um, you know, the ruler, the king of Egypt, um, at first, especially when Joseph is, is there, but then, you know, we see, you know, through this genealogy that he dies, he's no longer there, you know, that generation is kind of gone, um, you know, they have now began to, you know, multiply and are a bigger part of, of that culture and are immersed there, um, you know, but we begin to see, like, how that may uh, play a role in kind of what's, what's going to happen next, and I don't know let you Hit on the genealogy first before we, we kind of go any further. Yeah, I'll just say two points for the first seven verses. So that's the genealogy and then this comment about Israel's growth before we get into Pharaoh, this new king, all that stuff. So the first point would be genealogies might seem boring, but we actually need them. There's like God inspired the genealogy just as much as he inspired your favorite verse in Romans chapter 8 or uh, Jeremiah or wherever that might be. And so genealogies do something. They show where we've come from and how we've gotten to the present. So that reminds God's people of what God has done in the past and gives us hope if he's going to fulfill, if he's already fulfilled those promises, it gives us hope about what he's going to do in the future. And that's why in Matthew one and in Luke three, we have genealogies. It connects us to the old Testament and it shows us that we are in Christ. And so in Christ, we're connected to the people of Israel. We are in the Old Testament. It's our story too. Our history as Christians is Christ. And before that, the people of God in the Old Testament. So if our future is secure in him, that's because we can stand on the bedrock promises of, of, the, of the things that God's already done. So genealogies are a great reminder of that. That's the first point. The, only, the, the, the second point I'll say, and Andre alluded to this uh, pretty clearly, I guess. But in verse 7, it says Israel was fruitful and increased gr- greatly. This is language straight from Genesis. In Genesis 1, God created man and woman in his image, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But notice that it was a command, be fruitful and multiply. But when he's making the covenant with Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you are going to multiply exceedingly and be fruitful and cover the earth. And so it becomes not just a blessing, but it becomes a promise. So God's commandment to Adam or to, to man and woman in Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, 
it becomes this promise that he's going to do. So we see a uh, short-term fulfillment of that, of the people of Israel. And this idea of creation language, all the way from Genesis 1, we're going to see so much creation language when we get to the tabernacle and even when we're in the plagues. So it's already alerting us that we should be looking out for what connects us to Genesis. So those would be my two points. I know they're long, but I think they're both important because we need. if we don't start off Exodus well, we can't read Exodus well. So we can keep going. I know you want to get past the genealogy as fast as possible. No, man, not, not at all. No, no. I just wanted to throw a joke in there, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> people might not think that, you know, Exodus is, is all too glamorous, but I think that, you know, people will be excited to find out that there's a lot of good stuff here. And, you know, like you said, um, this kind of speaks to the promise to kind of um, this idea that we've, we've both kind of uh, belabored a little bit at this point. But, you know, what I found to be really interesting and kind of the point I wanted to go into next was, you know, we see that they multiplied, but we see that they also grew exceedingly strong here at the end of, you know, verse seven. So, you know, we see that clearly uh, God's favor is upon them, right? And, you know, that's an issue um, for Pharaoh because, you know, you know, he's thinking, and we see um, in, in verse nine and 10, um, you know, into, you know, 11 and 12 and all that, that, you know, he's really worried that they're going to rise up. They're going to, you know, you know, overtake them. They might like take the land uh, you know, he's really becoming concerned. And, you know, the key concern is, you know, Michael pointed out that, you know, they arrived here in Egypt because of this famine. You know, they arrived in the favor of the previous Pharaoh. And, um, you know, all was well, you know, God's favor was upon them. They were multiplying, they were growing, um, you know, they were doing pretty well. But then this new king, you know, he doesn't really remember these, these old relationships as we see in verse 8. Um, and so as he begins to worry and as he begins to see that and, you know, that it's evident that God's favor is upon them, you know, he says, um, you know, they should, they should, they need to do something about this, right? Um, in verse 10, come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Lest they multiply and the floor breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land, right? And now, you know, the interesting thing is that, um, and kind of the point that I wanted to make is that the more that, you know, he oppressed them and the more that he was worried about this, I mean, it says in verse 12, I believe, that the more that they, that they multiplied, the more that they spread. And, you know, this kind of really uh, reminded me of, you know, in the New Testament, uh, you know, the more that, you know, we saw, you know, the early church, you know, being persecuted, um, mm -hmm. you know, the more that they multiplied, the more that they spread, um, and it says spread abroad, you know, and that kind of is um, kind of reminds me as well as of how the early church spread, you know, not just spread in, you know, one city, but spread abroad, right? And we see kind of these parallels, of, you know, kind of what it means uh, to be in God's favor and, and how that kind of plays into this idea of multiplying, how that plays into this idea of, you know, being persecuted yet continuing to grow exceedingly strong, you know, despite those odds. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good, man. And just, I mean, like, it's so cool because, like, he's writing, Moses is writing this in the wilderness. They're on the way to the promised land. He's writing this to people. It would have probably been the next generation. Like, they, it, God had punished Israel for their, their sin and their idolatry, and he wanted them to, the next generation was going to enter the promised land. He's writing this for them, but he's not getting, Moses isn't just writing the, the plagues and the redemption story. He's not just writing that. He's writing like their history, and he wants to show what God was doing to shape his people uh, before 
he redeemed them out of Egypt. So like just the verses that Andre's talking about, verse 10 says, lest they multiply. Verse 12 says, the more they multiplied. And one commentator talks about how the Hebrew, it's actually like a pun, like a play on words, that the joke is actually on Pharaoh. Like he was worried, lest they multiply, all this stuff's going to happen. But the more they were oppressed, like Andre's talking about, the people of God flourish in the midst of opposition. And so the more they actually multiplied, verse 12. And so the the slavery, just to work through the next few verses, the slavery doesn't stop these multiplications. So Pharaoh just moves on to infanticide. And so just notice how sin even works like in a broader scope. Uh, his desires and his inclinations towards self-protection and protecting what he has, protecting who he is, protecting his power in Egypt's uh splendor and and uh and power all of that stuff his desires and inclinations toward those lead to all the way to murder to innocent children and let's just point out the new connect the new testament connection now uh andre's connecting to the book of acts let's go to the book of matthew there's this isn't the only king who's going to order that innocent children be killed in matthew chapter 2 when he hears that the king has been born what does herod do well there's an order that innocent children be killed, and one of them was the real Savior who led the real exodus, bringing us out of our sin and bringing us into God's kingdom. And what does Moses do? Well, Moses is one of the children that should be killed, but he is he survives. We're gonna, that's going that's next chapter, and he's going to lead his people out of the exodus. So just like Andre is connecting to Acts, there's so many New Testament connections in all of Exodus. It's so such a good book. That's really really good. And we continue to kind of see these these parallels, which you know, it's super, super um, amazing how we can kind of like tie this to um, <clears throat> the New Testament and see how all this really, you know, where all this really points to, which is to Christ. Um, and, you know, interestingly, you know, with the last point I made, um, kind of continued on to that, you know, how I was talking about, um, you know, that, you know, they had, you know, God's favor upon them, right? And, you know, we see, you know, where, where might this be coming from, um, you know, you know, what are they kind of doing um, kind of in this relationship between, you know, them still being, they're now enslaved, uh, they're continuing to multiply. Um, you know, we see that here in verse uh, 17, I believe, we see that, you know, this, you know, relationship here between uh, Yahweh and, you know, the this group of people that's now enslaved. And we see that they, you know, they continue to fear God, right? We see that it's this different type of fear from, you know, the fear that Pharaoh has of, you know, really of God, because, you know, that's really what he's fearing is as he sees them to multiply. And we see that, you know, these two things are, are different. And we kind of see how, you know, they're refusing to, um, to, you know, participate in this killing of, of children because of their fear of God. Um, and, you know, they're going to refuse to do that, you know, kind of reminds me of, um, of Daniel. Um, and we kind of see this, this idea that, you know, they're going to continue to follow after what, uh, you know, God wants them to do despite this pressure put upon them. And we kind of see those themes as well. Throughout. Yeah. And, and in the pressure, it's so cool how the Bible is always loves to point out that God's way is so backwards to the world. Like in first Corinthians one, uh, the cross is the fool is foolishness to the Greeks and to the Jews. That's Paul's language. But like, think of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. But like Old Testament too, look how cool this is. I actually learned this in the past year. I don't remember who originally taught me this, but in verse 15, it names the Hebrew midwives, uh, Sh Shifra 
and I think Pua, but I'm not positive about the pronunciation there. But it names the Hebrew midwives. Oh, man. You don't know the you don't know the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to, that's supposed to be that. my thing, I guess. But hey, guess what? I still remember from Nehemiah, King. What's his name, Andre? King who? Artaxerxes. Woo! All right. So uh, I didn't try it. I would have said it wrong. <laughs> so what's cool is though in verse 15 the hebrew midwives are named these are people who in the grand scheme of history to us would be inconsequential people who cares who they are in egypt especially who know like nobody knows their name but everybody knows who pharaoh is but notice in exodus not one time is pharaoh's name mentioned and you can talk to archaeologists and historians and like we can guess who the the uh the pharaohs were at the time but Pharaoh's never named in Exodus, but these random midwives who fear the Lord are. And so it's pointing out significance. Like, who cares who Pharaoh is? Look at these women who are fearing God. So that's there's more significance attached to them even to who Pharaoh is. And I think that's really cool, really different. And then in verse 20, we see that God dealt well with the midwives. Um, and because they feared him, he gave them families, um, which would have been, you know, really significant. Um, I'm... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that <clears throat> within this culture, you know, this would have been a really big deal to them um, as midwives. It would have been more, you know, lower part of society. And so this, you know, blessing upon them would have been something, you know, would have been something very, very good. Yeah. And especially and, like Pharaoh, Pharaoh would have been thought of as like basically a god. And so, but the one who's getting the real divine favor is the midwives, which is really cool. And then just think about how crazy God's plans are as we look to the second chapter Pharaoh wants to cast kids into death. What does God do? God saves Moses, brings him through the water right to Pharaoh's doorstep. It's pretty crazy. And so, yeah, I, I totally yeah, agree. That kinda, and that kind of takes us into, into chapter two, which we're also going to uh, cover today. So as we like, you know, move into that, I don't know if you have any other points on, on chapter one you wanted to no, go for it. Go for discuss it. Before, um, you know, before we, we get into chapter two, but we do see at the end of chapter one that now there's this command uh, for all of you know, uh, for all of the newborn sons to be you know basically killed by you know being thrown into the Nile. Um, but then you know we see this woman, who you know we know to be her son to be Moses, um, and you know because she knows of this you know we see that she hides him, and then you know after a while she decides that she's going to uh, put him in this um, basket. And, you know, put him into the Nile and let him float away. And like Michael said, he ends up right on Moses' doorstep and, you know, basically gets taken in. And we kind of see um, how that plays into, um, you know, how you know, he interacts with this with his culture and with um, this people group who he's a part of. Yeah, I yeah, I love that. I think this is such a great part of uh, the book. But I like it's kind of weird because I'm always thinking of like, what it would have been like for Moses to write about himself. And so I think that's kind of interesting. But a couple key like textual notes. One is we see a man, doesn't he, we don't even get his name in verse one. He's not named until chapter six and his wife, but they're from Levi. So kind of like this priestly language. We're, we're supposed to be clued into something priestly from Levi. And then the woman sees that he's a fine child. Not like, eh, he's, he's good, we'll keep him. But this language echoes Genesis 1. The creation was good, and it was to be preserved. It was, God saw that it was good. Uh, 
and that was kind of repeated each day. And so just like this, we're seeing that Moses is basically like the creation was good. Moses was good. So it's picking up again on the creation theme. We're, we're being hinted at like, hey, remember this. And then the next point to Genesis is this is one of my favorite textual points in the entire Bible, and I can't even tell you why. But if you read pretty much any like not scholarly, but literally just any commentary, any type of work on Exodus, it will point this out. But verse three, it says, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and, and it keeps going. But the basket, the word for basket, I want to say in Hebrew, it's pronounced tibah, but I could be wrong about that. But Moses placed in this tibah, which is an ark, like the word for tibah could be translated, uh, not just something like basket or uh, like box, but it could also be translated ark. And the only other time this verse there, sorry, this word uh, tabah is used in the entire Old Testament is Noah's ark in Genesis six through nine. So it's almost like we're getting this clear connection. It's the only two times it's used is Genesis six through nine and here in Exodus two. And think about the connections though. Both Moses and Noah are placed, they're headed to the water, which are supposed to be chaotic waters of death. The flood was to destroy people. And this water is supposed to be where children are cast for death. Both are placed on a teba to be the deliverer of God's people, like to set apart like God's new people. And so God creates a new people through those events, despite other people dying in the water. And so really cool connections. I love the connection there between Genesis and Exodus. So that's, that's something noteworthy, I'd say. That's really good. And, you know, if you, you know, just thinking about that connection, it, it might seem like a little bit of a, you know, maybe a loose connection or, you know, you might think to yourself, you know, the, the floodwaters that no experience would have been so much worse than just being placed in this nice calm river <laughs> or whatever. But <clears throat> I mean, if, if you really think about it though, like, you know, the, the risk associated with putting this three month old into a basket, into a river is already. That's still tremendous. risky. Yeah in and of itself, but then he ends up on the doorstep of the guy who wants, um, basically wants him killed. And not only does, you know, Pharaoh take in some random kid he sees at the fire station or something. You know, he's taking in this, this kid, he's taking in Moses, who's going to end up being, you know, the one who um, is responsible for basically his biggest fear up to now, you know, coming true of, the Hebrew people basically fleeing and leaving and, and all associated with that. And so it's kind of a little bit ironic here of what's, what's really going on and the odds that really have been overcome and how, you know, this was, you know, really planned. It wasn't just an accident that, you know, this woman decided to put this fine child into the, into the river. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. What, one more point there is, uh, it's really interesting, like the kind of this bridge between chat or verse 10 and verse 11, because the child grows up and then in verse 11, according to Acts 7. So I'm about to pull some stuff from Acts 7 when Stephen's giving the speech before he's martyred as the first martyr of the church. He, he gives us a lot of good insight to Moses's life. But two, one is when Moses grows up in verse 11, he's 40 years old. So the, the jump in age from like that little section to verse 11 is huge. He jumps to 40 years old. So we're already getting closer to the age when he's 80, when he approaches Pharaoh. And it, that's why uh, Andre doesn't want to be any grand buddies with Moses. He's too old for, for Andre. So <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a cool movie about you know Moses. I forget the name of the movie is, but they kind of depict this like intermediate period and, you know, depict him to have had this really you know great life and have been in Pharaoh's favor. Um, there's like this scene I kind of remember of like him racing a chariot Pharaoh's <laughs> actual son or something so it kind of depicts that you know it's kind of beside the point but yeah we get into Moses being a grown-up uh 40 years old like Michael says 
and <clears throat> and he sees um, the suffering of um, you know really this people that you know he's really a part of, and you know we see that you know he's you know hurting because of this, and you know we see kind of um, the fallout because uh, that happens because of this, and you know we kind of see this him take this um, I would say. Um, call to action to, you know, step in and do something about this suffering that's going on. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, kind of where we arrive and, you know, it ends up with him killing an Egyptian and then uh, falling out of Pharaoh's favor. Um, and so, you know, he believes that he needs to run away or that he's going to get killed. Um, and so kind of, you know, leave him in this tricky situation where he, um, you know, takes this action against, you know, what, what he sees to be suffering. He sees this man who's getting beaten. Um, and then we see that he flees away. From yeah, that's really good. And I think I want to address one misconception that a lot of people have, which they read this and murder is bad, the 10 commandments, right? But most people read this and they think Moses is in sin for killing the Egyptian. One thing that I've actually learned as I've studied this and in, in, in conjunction with act seven recently is uh, not just recently, but this spring was it's, I think that the actual way to interpret this is not that Moses is sinning and killing the Egyptian. And here's why. So Moses isn't showing himself to be in sin. Moses is showing himself to be the deliverer of God's people this early on. And so here's Acts 7. It says, Acts 7, 23 through 25 says, When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man. So think of the language. He's defending the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. So why did Moses flee when the Hebrews thought he was going to kill them too? It's because they didn't understand, but he thought that they would see that God was going to lead them out of Egypt. And so Moses is showing himself to be the deliverer of God's people by defending them, the oppressed people, against the oppressive Egyptians. So I actually think this is not a sin. It's depicting Moses this early in the text as the deliverer of God's people. So I think that's one way that the text is misconstrued that I think is is at least worth noting. Uh, th because Moses' role as deliverer is way more clear in the next chapter, which we'll cover uh, next week. Yeah, that's really good. And then not a point that you know I haven't really thought of, but you know I can I can see how it's it's important to you know kind of view it in the lens of that. And in the lens of, you know, how Moses is being, you know, built up to, you know, be this deliverer and, um, you know, kind of we see the, the first step of that in him, you know, fleeing away from Egypt to avoid being killed. And he goes um, to the land of Midian. I want to pronounce it. I think that's right. It seems like Midian. Yes, sir. That's correct. Sweet. And then uh, we kind of see, you know, um, gets married um, to one of the daughters of the priest of this new place. And we see that he spends his time out in this uh, more so, you know, wilderness area, you know, where he's shaped and, um, you know, he grows even older from his, age, his young age of 40 years old. Um, and, he, you know, we see that, you know, he kind of goes through this, this period of, of being shaped up out yeah. away from Egypt, kind of similar, um, you know, to, you know, other times that we've seen, you know, prominent people in the Bible, you know, be shaped by being out in the wilderness and like who? preparation for something really big. I was going to ask you, but I was going to say, I'll just go ahead and say it, but, 
you know, kind of, you know, parallels to the same kind of ideas that we see in Jesus mm-hmm. in, the, in the New Testament. Um, so just wanted to point that out there. Hint, hint, um, hint, hint to everybody. The answer is always Jesus. But we do see this in Elijah's story as well. But yeah, keep going. So that's, that's kind of what I want to say about that and kind of how he's, he's now beginning to be shaped and, you know, continuing. He's kind of, you know, he's preparing to be this deliverer is kind of what we're seeing here and the picture that I really see painted here. Yeah, and I think that can be really applicable for people too. Like Moses isn't shaped. I mean, it says in Acts 7 that when he was in Pharaoh's house, when he was raised up, he was instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's where he was mighty in words and deeds. But where does God appear to him? Where is Moses shaped as a person? It's out in the desert, in his exile. And so I think that can be really applicable. We see his heart in Hebrews 11. But uh, one thing that I think is uh, fascinating here is uh, the fact that Moses' life parallels, Moses' life parallels what's going to be true of Israel's story as we keep reading the book of Exodus. So Moses cries out to God. Moses cries, sorry. Moses cries and there's pity on Moses. Later in the, like to finish out our chapter today, we're going to see in 23 through 25, it's going to say the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out and the Lord knew, the Lord heard them, the Lord saw And then we're going to see Moses and Israel both go into the water of death. They both go through it. Israel's going to go through the Red Sea. They're both going to go into the wilderness. Moses in the wilderness right now in chapter 2. Israel is going to spend time in the wilderness uh, when they leave Egypt and then specifically in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers actually in the Hebrew was originally titled In the Wilderness, which would have been way cooler than calling it Numbers. Don't know why we did that in the English. And then, uh, so, and then they go to the mountain. So, uh, uh, in chapter three, Moses is going to go to this mountain Horeb and he's going to see the burning bush and he's going to be in God's presence. And then, uh, Israel is going to go to this mountain and be in God's presence as well. So Moses' story is like a mini Israel story. His is a foreshadowing of literally like the next 20 chapters that we're going to read. So that's kind of really fascinating how that uh, we just see like a complete parallel between Moses and then what he's going to bring the people to do as well. That's really good. And then, you know, in addition to, you know, hearing their groaning, you know, their cries uh, for a deliverer, <clears throat> which is also like a theme that, you know, you know, we see that, you know, God hears his people, but then it also says that he remembers his covenant. Um, and we continue to see that, you know, theme also progressed, um, you know, that God's going to fulfill his promises. And we're going to see that continue to be unraveled. And, um, you know, that just really gives, you know, me hope. Um, and it's, you know, really interesting to study the covenants, um, I will say, and so I'm definitely super excited to, to see that unravel as well. I just want to say one more thing. So this last section, the last three verses is where God hears uh, the cries of Israel, hears Israel groaning. And so it says that, uh, it says that God remembered his covenant remembered. It's not like he forgot. Remember is just saying God is actually, it's cluing us in that God is actually going to act now on his promise to Abraham to bring the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. So even in centuries of slavery, God's been faithful to Israel. He has a plan for his glory and for their good. And so, uh, Andre, you can say anything you want looking forward. But next week, we're going to see in chapters 3 and chapters 4, Moses is kind of wimpy. He's a little scared to be the new leader of Israel, but God is magnificent. God is glorious. God calls him to that purpose. So that's kind of next week, but I love jumping into Exodus. One of my favorite books, the entire Bible, definitely a top five, if not better than that. So I cannot wait to keep going, but 
I am surprised that we finished the entire episode on chapters one and two and introducing the book in less than 40 minutes. So I'm pretty proud of that. I'm pretty proud of you too, Michael. You know, I I didn't really lack faith in myself to be able to do it, but I'm glad that we were able to accomplish it together. I'm really excited to continue to dive in next week. 